Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the ultimate show when it comes to 80s wrestling. You're listening live to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. My name is Jumpin' Jay, and broadcasting live from parts unknown, it's Tommy Fierro. Tommy, welcome back to the show, brother. <laughs> Jumpin' Jay, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Listen, man, I am excited for today's show. We got a topic that we could literally spend hours upon hours talking about. So I'm excited to get into that. I'm doing fantastic. You're coming off a very eventful week in parts known. The Wrestling Collector Superstore had a live in-person signing over the weekend, a couple of them. And you had a wonderful Monday night virtual signing this past Monday. So fill me in, Tommy. How did your weekend go in the world of 80s wrestling? Well, first of all, thank you for asking. And uh, it went great. Uh, Friday night, last Friday night, we had Bill DeMott and Crowbar in the store. We were doing a fundraiser for the Curry and DeMott Foundation, which was named after Bill's daughter, who was tragically killed by a drunk driver. So it was a great cause, and all proceeds went to that. So, uh, and, and it was great to see Bill. I, like I said last week on the show, I grew up uh, as, as a fan of his going to independent shows in the area when he was Crash the Terminator. So and I was always tight with him since then. So uh, it was cool to see him after so long and, and help raise money for a great cause. And then on Sunday, last Sunday, we had Medusa uh, in the store, uh, and uh, we had her the following day for the virtual signing, Monday Night Virtual, and, man, she was fun. She was so cool. She was so down to earth. Jay, I've worked with a lot, a lot of talent over, over the years, uh, but she has to be right up there at the top as one of the coolest. And if you tuned in to the Monday Night Virtual show, you know that there's a very good chance Tommy right now is wearing an event-worn dress by Medusa. <laughs> you were able to purchase some, like, ring-worn gear from her on Monday night. Oh, yeah. Well, she – she usually when we do the we, we do the auctions at the end of the night for our, our signings, um, typically, you know, it's uh, whoever the guest is. It could be, like, an action figure of them or a magazine or, or uh, something – uh, not not often does the talent bring their own uh, ring worn stuff. So I mean, it was it was really cool, and it was by far the most interactive, um, the most interactive auction we've done yet with you know different winners almost every every time. And it was cool because she brought her old gear and stuff with her. Uh, one of the items was the was. Uh, the WCW War Games dress, the blue dress she wore in War Games, and, and at this point, I, I'm bidding in because I want this. <laughs> I want this stuff for my <laughs> store. Like this for this auction, it wasn't going. The money wasn't going to us because it was it was her stuff, you know. So right. you know, I I have I, it's it's not mine, so I have I can bid on it if I want. So I mean, I bid on a couple of things and wanted to, and just to have it in the store. One of the cool things that I bid it on. Um, and no one else was bidding, so I bid on it. That's why. So it ain't like I, I took it away from someone. Was one of her sneakers that she had custom made that she wore under her dress when she got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. A really, really cool item. So something like that is something that you know is unique. And then also when she her last appearance in the WWE when she won the 24/7 title that black dress she had on, uh, she auctioned that off as well. And I, I jumped on that because I might not even sell that. I might just get a man, uh, you know, a display and put it in the store. So, you know, it looks like, you know, make create like a little museum with maybe, you know, different items like that in the future as well. So I, I did win a couple of them. It was, it was real cool. And uh, she also had some other dresses and, and bikinis and stuff like that. So um, it was really cool, man. And she was super cool. Yeah, and like you said, she brought she brought quite a bit of stuff for the auctions, and like you said, everything was going to different bidders, and some of the stuff sold for real nice prices for her, and so you could tell the interest was there, and there's just something special about owning a piece of ring-worn gear compared to 
an action figure that they may have produced hundreds or thousands of. Like this ring-worn gear is one of a kind. And so now Tommy has some to display at his, at his wrestling superstore there in New Jersey. And fans will just love coming in and seeing that stuff on display. So I think that was a wise move uh, by you, Tommy. Yeah, man. I, like I said, I, I, I thought it was a unique item and something that I, I can uh, perhaps, you know, just have in the store as like a, like make a little like museum type area in the store. I don't know. Yeah. I, I might, I might try and get rid of it. I might save it. But um, what, what, uh, what I, I really took out of that though, was that there was a lot of interest in the ring worn stuff. So what I what I'm going to be doing, Jay, which is an exclusive right here on on the podcast today. I'm not announced this yet. Right now, it'll be the first time when we do 80s Wrestling Con live next May in New Jersey, which uh, we already announced that Jesse the Body Ventura will be appearing as that, along with Axe and Smash Demolition. They've been confirmed, along with uh, Tito Santana. And Medusa will be there as well. Um, one of the cool things that we're going to do, Jay, is going to be a live auction at 80s Wrestling Con featuring ring-worn and personal items from some of the guests that are going to be pairing at 80s Wrestling Con. So that's going to be a big, 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 big part of 80s Wrestling Con Live. will be a live auction uh, when we do it May 7th. Can you imagine adding some of that ring-worn stuff to your personal collection if you're a wrestling fan? That alone would be worth taking the trip to this, this wrestling convention. The chance to own stuff that, like I said, it's, it's one of a kind. They don't mass produce it. It's coming from the performer's personal collection. They're giving something up that uh, they used in their career and that they've been holding on to, and then it could end up in your personal collection as well. That is just that's exciting, Tommy, is what that is. That's exciting. Awesome. All right, Tommy, it is time to dive in to the ultimate topic. As we were passing around ideas for today's show, Tommy sent the one out to me saying, why don't we talk about the ultimate warrior? And when you talk about 80s wrestling, there might have been no performer that captured the sights and sounds of the decade quite like the ultimate warrior. And like I said, we could talk for hours upon hours about the ultimate warrior because he was one of the most colorful, intriguing. And as we got older, there was a little bit of controversy involved in character throughout the years. And so I'm excited to dive in, Tommy. I want to give out our guest call in line because the lines are already lighting up. We got a couple callers sitting on hold, listening to us talk about women's shoes and dresses that Tommy bought over the weekend. But if you're listening live, <laughs> from the blog talk radio site and you want to call in and share your favorite memories about the ultimate warrior. The guest call in line is five, one, six, five, nine, five, eight, two, nine, five. And Tommy, we're going to jump right into our first caller. He's a longtime listener, longtime caller. He's from parts known. He's from Butler. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Danny to the show. Danny, how are you doing? What's up, Jay? Monday night, Tommy. How's it going? I uh, missed you guys last week. Monday. Whoa, hold on a second there. Monday night, Tommy. I like that. Monday, Monday, night. Monday night, Tommy. Mr. Monday MNT. night. Wow, I might, I might have to steal that, Danny from Butler. Monday night, Tommy. Well, or, you, or you definitely earned it. You're not stealing it. I can, I can steal Rob Van Dam's gimmick. I could be the new Mr. Monday night. There you go. Well, like I said, well-deserved... Well uh, you put your work in, it's all yours. What's up going on, man? What, thanks for uh, calling in. Today is, is, a, is a topic that I know that you can dive deep in, uh, Danny, because I know that he was one of your favorites growing up as a kid. Today's topic, the ultimate warrior. Uh, growing up as a kid, Danny, what were some of your favorite memories of the ultimate warrior? Uh, you know what? Like I said, uh, Jumpy J said, like one, you know, one of the most colorful um you know, obviously, you can't get into 80s wrestling. Ultimate Warrior is a big part of that. Um, he, you know, I guess you could say he was the one that kind of, you know, the the torch was passed when uh, he beat Hogan at WrestleMania six for the title. Um, he was definitely up there, you know, in in a fans, you know, the fan favorite. 
um, very, you know, controversial, very complex character, you know, as we, you know, you know, there's a lot, you know, especially, you know, the DVDs that came out, you know, in the mid-2000s about, you know, people not liking to work with him. Um, you know, I'm glad that he got to bury the hatchet with a, a lot of these guys, you know, but, you know, before he passed. But, you know, like I said, it, it was, he was a big part of, uh, you know, a lot of people's childhoods. You know, when he came in, uh, was it late 87? You know, I, you know, my biggest memory obviously is, uh, you know, one of the biggest pops you could ever get was when, when he, uh, be a honky tonk man at SummerSlam '88 uh, for the Intercontinental Title, ending his 15-month reign. You know, you could you couldn't get a bigger pop. You know, th- that timing was perfect the way they did it. You know, honky tonk man was a class act by the way he, uh, you know, helped him. You know, helped that character take off and everything from there. You know, was you know, it was the sky was the limit from there. His trajectory just went to a, another stratosphere after that moment. And you know, like I said, he had great. You know, great matches, you know, with Rick Rude, you know, the, the you know, at WrestleMania 5, SummerSlam 89, SummerSlam 90, uh, the steel cage match, you know, a, a topic that, you know, you could go on and on about, you know, but he was, like, like I said, one of the great, you know, I'm not going to say one of the great in-ring performers, but one of the great characters, you know, he, um, he you know, he came up big when, when he needed, you know, the, obviously WrestleMania 7, you know, against uh, Randy Savage, the career-ending match. You know, he he had some great moments. Um, and like I said, I one of the great, you know, like I said, he you can't get more '80s than uh, Ultimate Warrior. Um, like I said, he was just, you know, he's one of my favorites. Um, and I, I, I know, like I said, he's definitely well deserved being in the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. You know, say it's just a shame that. He really, um, it, he, he kind of hit a, a a wall a little bit uh, towards the end of his first WD run. I know they tried to repackage him a couple of times. It didn't really work out. But like I said, he definitely made an impact, you know, from those first four or five years when uh, he made the WWF. Danny, quick quick question for you before before we let you go, because you, you brought up something that I wanted to bring up on, on the show today anyway, is you were talking about the controversial DVD and, you know, uh, other – you know, type of releases that come out on, on the ultimate warrior. So my, my question to you is obviously you, you, you just said you grew up a big fan of the ultimate warrior. What was it like for you to watch WWE put out this release on him, which didn't paint him in a very positive light at all. Now, just being a fan, you do not know the backstage you know, happenings or what happens behind the scenes. Like all you know is what you see on TV. So you growing up as a kid, you're seeing this large than life, colorful performer just captivate you and, and, and capture your imagination. So what was it like for you? Was it disappointing? Because I, I know for me watching it, I was disappointed by uh, the DVD release that WWE put out. What, what was your take on that as a, as a fan uh, watching that? Well, you know, like I said, you bring up the fact that you know, at you know, at that time, you know, we're we're young, we're we're seven, eight, nine, ten years old, growing up, and you know, we don't really get the, you know, all we see is what you know what's put out there, you know, in the ring on TV. We don't know what's going on backstage, you know, with the politics and all that. And it was kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's disturbed. It's not, I'm not gonna say disturbing, but a bit, you know, it kind of caught you off guard. It was a little disappointing, you know of how, you know, they, they kind of painted him as selfish. You know, one guy that, you know, he didn't care about the business. Um, you know, like I said, you know, him uh, holding up McMahon at, at that SummerSlam in, uh, at the Garden in 91, um, you know, for whatever amount of money he wanted up front. Um, and then, you know, Vince eventually firing him and uh, bringing him back uh, at that WrestleMania 8. Uh, it, it was kind of, you know, it's, it, it, you know, like I said, it, it definitely was disappointing you know, because, you know, like I said, he's, you know, he's, he was such a popular superstar, you know, like I said, he, he was given, you know, the opportunity, you know, he was like, the, the, he, they pretty much passed the proverbial torch to him to be that next guy after Hogan. It, it really kind of didn't pan out. Um, but like I said, he still left the impact, you know, whether you like it, you know, whether you liked him or not. And, you know, like I said, it's, um, it's kind of unfortunate, but like I said, I guess time heals all wounds, and I'm glad that uh, you know he he was able to mend some of the fences uh, towards the, uh, the you know the, the very end uh, uh, of his you know career. Not going to say his career, the end of his life, 
just an unfortunate passing, which is so abrupt. And, you know, it was kind of like, um, how, how do I don't know how to put it. It was, it was kind of, you know, it was a bit a bittersweet. It was, you know, it's it it poetic. Uh, you know how him, you know, he, he gave that last speech on that Monday Night Raw after he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and then, you know, you know, before you know it, he's gone. So, it was glad, it was, it was nice to see him finally, you know, you know, exercise those demons, bury the hatchet, um, and like I said, it, it kind of like cleaned up his image somewhat. But he's a character that will definitely, you know, he'll live. You know, like I said, the the the, the warrior will you know run through to everybody's memory forever. I, I can't I can't deny that. Danny, listen to you talk about the warrior. You're absolutely right on the money with everything you're saying. And and I love the way you, you summed it up with that. Through the ups and downs, it was kind of poetic how they were able to make amends at the very last moment uh, while he was still with us on this earth. And I'm as a fan, I am beyond thankful for that because I can't imagine his legacy ending with that DVD that they put out earlier. Before we let you go, Danny, I have to know, as kids, Tommy and I, while we didn't know each other back then, we've come to find out at WrestleMania 6, we were on different sides of the fence here. I was pulling for Hogan. Tommy was pulling for the Warrior. Before we let you go, Danny, I have to know, who were you rooting for at WrestleMania 6? Were you a Hulkamaniac for life, or were you cheering for the Warrior? I was a Hulkamaniac, um, it, but it was, you know, it's kind of, you know, it, I think, the writing was kind of on the wall. I mean, even as, you know, as it was, I was eight, nine years old at that time, you kind of figured that, you know, the warrior was going to come away. I mean, like I said, what, you know, what, what was uh, Hogan going to do? You know, drop the WWF championship for the Intercontinental title. I mean, it was a great storyline. Like I said, it was just it's one of those first times. I mean, I, mean was it, I guess it was the first time where you had a baby face against baby face, you know, you know title for title. So it, it made up for great theater. And um, like I said, it definitely, you know, it, you know, you, you were torn in between because you know you you, you loved both of the superstars. They were both larger than life, and they were the you know the two biggest stars in the company at that time. So I had to say I was I was a Hogan maniac. I was pulling for Hogan, but I, you know at the end of the day, like I said, if you're gonna have a you know if there's somebody else that was gonna take the reins, you know who better than the Warrior? Well said. Well said, Danny. Thank you so much for calling in. We hope to hear from you next week as well. Absolutely. Well, I'll definitely, uh, you know, uh, me, guys, uh, you guys I'm, a, I'm, I'm very loyal to you guys. You guys keep up the good work. And uh, next week, uh, I'm sure it'll be bigger than this one. Thank you, Sounds brother. good, Danny. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Take care. All right. We're going to go next to the call-in line. Hi, welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast caller. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, how are you guys? It's uh, Tom from Parsippany. Hey, Tom, how are you, man? Good, man. Hey, Tommy, uh, Jay, nice to uh, finally meet you. I've been a long-time uh, listener of the show since it started. Tommy, I've been up to the store. I came up back in April when you had uh, John Arezzi and Tito Santana. I bought both their books and got them autographed, and I... I sold you a bunch of magazines that day, and one of the magazines I sold you was uh, uh, a special edition one with the Warrior on it when he was holding a two-title belt after he had beaten Hogan. And um, that's one of my I, that's one of my uh, favorite memories of uh, Warrior. Obviously, that when he uh, I saw that. Tom, on a Tom, I don't mean to, I don't I don't mean to cut you off real quick, but before I forget, I just want to let you know that that magazine that you just told yeah. me about. I actually sold yep. that for $12,543, so thank you very much. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, well, hey, I, I, so then I, I guess I got some credit in the store then. So that's good to know. Oh, yeah, you got some credit uh, coming. Oh, that's great. But anyway, Sorry, uh, obviously the two – no, no problem. The two memories are that match against Hogan, which I saw. It was the only match I ever saw on closed-circuit TV from William Patterson College in Wayne, New Jersey. With a friend of mine, I'll never forget it, when he pinned the Hulk, the whole place erupted. And there weren't only young kids there. Obviously, I was a teenager at the time. There, weren't all, there, were, young, there were adults there. The whole gym was filled up, and everybody erupted. Because obviously, that had been the first time that the Hulk had been cleanly pinned in many, many years. Hey, Tom. And my other favorite, yeah. I, real quickly, you just said you saw, this is, this is cool, Jay. Listen to this. He said he saw WrestleMania six at William Patterson College on the big screen. I didn't see, I saw that one at home, but Tom, I saw WrestleMania two, three, 
four, and five at William Patterson College. Were you there for any of those ones? No, unfortunately, only WrestleMania six, and uh, and uh, that was what my friend had found out about it. Who was a huge, huge pro wrestling fan. He got me into wrestling, and he was mostly into the NWA, uh, uh, okay. WCW at the time. But that's why we went for that, and, and cool. uh, that was a great moment. But my other favorite moment was. Uh, when uh, the Warrior had, I believe it was at the Royal Rumble, and I think it was 88 or 89, when he had the super pose down against Ravishing Rick Rude. And that was when, and, and that actually, uh, that, that, that's one of the main reasons why I became such a huge fan of Rick Rude. But uh, that, that super pose down was great when Rude uh, and Heenan, he, I believe Heenan squirted the body oil in his face, and then Rude hit him over the head with the muscle blaster. And that set off their huge feud that would go on for the next, year, year and a half or longer, uh, not only for the Intercontinental title, but also for the World Heavyweight title. So those are my two memories of the Warrior, and, uh, you know, just just a lot of fun. He was just a a fun guy to watch. I couldn't agree more. And I think Ravishing Rick Rude's feud with the Warrior for the Intercontinental belt, and like you said, later for the World belt, I would put Warrior Rude as one of my favorite feuds as a childhood fan of wrestling, just to watch the antics that went along with Rude and Bobby Heenan. And that pose down might be one of the greatest moments in this era of wrestling, because even though it wasn't a, a match, it wasn't for a championship belt, that moment sticks in the minds of all of our, all of us fans. And so Tom, I think you're right on the money with that one. It's just iconic absolutely. moments with iconic characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So guys, I just want to tell you, keep up the great work. I love the podcast and uh, Tommy, I look forward to coming up door soon. Uh, I know you had Medusa last week. Unfortunately, couldn't make it up there, but I plan on coming up soon and uh, I can't wait to get up there and I wish you guys the best of luck with the, uh, with the podcast. Tom, thank you so much, man. I, we appreciate all your support. Take care guys. Bye. What a nice right. guy, huh? What a nice Listen, guy. Listen, man, he, fantastic guy, so well-spoken. Danny from Butler, very knowledgeable, very passionate. It just brings me back to the fact that even though his career behind the scenes had a lot of controversy, in the minds of fans, the ultimate warrior was that character that seemed to come along at the perfect time to capture all of our imagination. And so, so, Tommy, while we have a break from the callers, let me ask you this. What do you think it was about the Warriors' character that has allowed him to probably outshine his in-ring performance in the mind of fans? Because we all hold him near and dear as fans of wrestling. We hold this character above others. So what is it about the Ultimate Warrior, you think, that allowed him to do this? Well, first, let me let me look. You know, you know, I am Dale. I I'll tackle something from a different perspective than 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 others. Well, I'm looking at it at, from a promoter's eyes about the, about the Ultimate Warrior when I say this right now. Now, I know that you know he's had some very, 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 extremely, very, very, and I'm trying to emphasize very controversial things in the past that that's happened. Um, I'm I'm not even looking at that. I'm not judging. Uh, him by that I'm looking at it from a fan's perspective uh, a, a child at, at that point sitting at home because I was uh, watching him and absolutely being captivated by him uh, it was the, the very bright colors it was the makeup it was you know the, the bright 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 ultra bright outfits that he wore the tights and the boots and the matching arm tassels it was just the, the matching elbow pads his hair the way he spoke crazily spoke but it all was a complete package and it absolutely just you know you, you couldn't help but be glued to the tv as a kid watching a large in the life looks like a, a superhero comic guy coming out of a comic book um, so I, I'm not looking at it from the point of view of him, him being a, a, a great in, in-ring performer. I think that's a bunch of bullshit because at the end of the day, you can be I'm – looking, I'm looking at it back then in the 80s. You could be the best in-ring worker in the world, Dean Malenko, 
Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, that style. I mean, I mean, back then it was, it was a little different, but I'm, I'm just talking about like a, a really, really awesome technically sound guy to go in there and have a five-star match for Dave Meltzer. It doesn't, he didn't need to do that. Uh, and I don't think that fans at home as kids were sitting there saying, oh, well, you know, Ricky Stemo can do a better arm drag than the ultimate. Forget about all that. This guy put asses in the seat. This guy sold millions and millions and millions of dollars of merchandise, whether it had been action figures, T-shirts, bumper stickers, posters, you name it, uh, flush bears, you name it. They had it of him back then. Anything with his likeness on, on it was selling and selling like hotcakes. So he didn't need to know how to do a Herakarana or a Frankensteiner or or or, or Moonsaw or, or, or just have a, a classic in-ring match. He didn't need to do that. That that wasn't him. That wasn't his character. And I, I look back now that, you know, you, you see people say that he was the shit. So they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm, and anyone listening to this podcast right now that's in the business and thinks he was the shit, then you don't know the business because at the end of the day, he put a lot of asses in seats and he sold hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars of merchandise and tickets. That's all that matters today in my, in my eyes. So for that purpose alone, no matter if he was a piece of shit in real life or not, uh, or whether he wasn't a great worker or not, at the end of the day, it's a business and he made a lot of money for that company. You know, and the thing is when you're a fan, when you're a kid and you're a fan you don't really look at people's in-ring ability as something that you're judging compared to somebody else. As, as, a, as a child fan, you accept that different wrestlers have different styles. And you could just tell the character of the Warriors style wasn't a technically sound wrestler like a Mr. Perfect or a Bret Hitman Hart was at that time. The ultimate Warriors style was he was powerful and he went a thousand miles per hour from the moment his music hit, he ran down that aisle, he shook the ropes. Somebody who enters the ring that way, you don't expect to be putting people into submission holds or uh, grabbing a chin lock and holding on to it. Like you expect somebody who comes into the ring a thousand miles per hour to wrestle at a thousand miles per hour and then to leave at a thousand miles per hour. And that's what, that's what the Warriors style was. And as a fan, it worked because not everybody did that. Nobody else did that. That was unique to him. And like you said, when you see this blur of neon running down the aisle, tassels flying in the wind, hair flying in the wind, the face paint, like the whole package seemed to work. And it came along at a time where that was the 80s. The 80s was loud and vibrant and things were moving fast. And so it fit the scene perfectly. And so there's, you can't look at the warrior and wonder why did people fall in love with this? Because this was something that you couldn't help but fall in love with. It wasn't until you get older and you start hearing about the backstage politics and, and what wrestlers' personalities are that you start to learn that maybe he wasn't the easiest guy to work with. But as a fan, you weren't privy to that information. You didn't think about these guys, how they interact with each other in the locker room. You just saw what was on the screen, and you loved every second of it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And and again, I, I, who knows? You know what? You know, there's always two two sides of the story. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of you know negative things in regards to his dealings with WWF, holding up for money, and you know not being able to do business the right way, like all that stuff, man. I I totally get it. Uh, it's it's totally not right. But I am looking at it from the eyes of a fan sitting at home in the late 80s, early 90s, and seeing him. And, and when you asked me what, you know, what was it about him, I, I did forget to mention the music and his engines as well. I mean, no one, you know, that, that beat was so quick and fast and the way he ran to the ring, no one ran to the ring like that. So that right away made him stand out and be totally different than everyone else on the card. And him shaking the ropes like that, no one else did that. That made him stand out and be different on the card. So, you know, it, it, it was a little bit of everything, in, in my opinion, for the Warrior. It was the look. 
It was the music. It was the entrance. It was the interviews. He was, in my opinion, for that time when it was still cartoonish and it was still catered to kids, he was the perfect guy to go with if if you couldn't go with Hogan because, you know, I mean, once once he beat Honky Tonk Man to win that Intercontinental title, I mean, he, his popularity took off. And, and I think that I might have mentioned this on a uh, one of our early episodes about this when we covered uh, SummerSlam, I believe. But uh, for anyone that didn't listen to it, I, I'll, I'll just say again, you also have to credit Honky Tonk Man uh, for that as well because uh, if it was, you know, ultimate uh, – if it was Honky Tonk Man in the ring and he's, you know, you know, saying anyone in the back wants the opportunity to come out and Ken Patera came out, no disrespect to Ken Patera, but he wouldn't got the reaction that the Ultimate Warrior came out. So when Honky, you know, called someone out and that music hit and Warrior came out and beat him in 30 seconds, I mean, he was a main man at that point. And, and that goes to show you just how over of a hill Honky Tonk was. Because I can also tell you at the same point, if Warrior came out and, and beat uh, Butch Reed like that, uh, I don't think it would have gotten the same reaction because uh, Honky had so much heat with the audience and held the title for so long. So I think that was a perfect storm as well. And uh, his whole persona and look and, and entrance and, and everything, it just, it just was, he was at the right place at the right time. And he, but he, he did a great job portraying that character. You know, Danny from Butler and then our caller, Tom, they brought up some uh, some moments in his career you just brought up when he beat the Honky Tonk Man. The Ultimate Warrior had iconic moments in his career, and I want to talk to you about iconic moments in his career, but first I have to ask you, because this is something that is tied to my childhood memories of the Ultimate Warrior. I know it's been mentioned in other places. I grew up in Minnesota. You grew up in New Jersey. I want to talk for a very short time about the rumor that went around when I was a kid that the Ultimate Warrior had passed away and that the WWF had brought in a lookalike to continue his character. Now, I will tell you this, Tommy. Here in Minnesota, that rumor was given to me in fifth grade by... I'm sure you guys have it in New Jersey too, the D.A.R.E. program, the, the, the keeping kids off drugs, the D.A.R.E. program. A police officer would come into our school and he would talk to us once a week about the dangers of drugs and alcohol. And it was my D.A.R.E. officer in fifth grade that told my class that the ultimate warrior had passed away from a drug overdose. And so here I am, a fifth grader, a fan of the ultimate warrior, I hear it from what I believe to be a very reliable source, a police officer in uniform, and my world is crushed. And, of course, I go on to learn later that that's not the case. Did this rumor make its way to New Jersey? Did you hear this when you were growing up? Uh, Yeah, yes. So unlike the Wrestling Eye magazine ever making it down to Minnesota, that rumor did come up here in New Jersey. And and I I, I think that that rumor started at WrestleMania 8, yeah. When he came out and he was much smaller. Some people even were saying it was Curry Von Erich. That, that was, I don't know if you heard that rumor too. Some people were saying it was Curry Von Erich that was uh, being the ultimate warrior. Did you hear that as well down there in Minnesota? You know, I never heard that, but I will tell you this. Even as a kid, I thought Curry Von Erich and the warrior looked very similar. And so I could believe that somebody would have, would have spun that side of the story. But I'm just wondering, where does where did – I, I understand he looked physically a little different at WrestleMania 8. His hair was a little shorter, a little lighter in color. But the fact that that, that rumor was so widespread boggles my mind that it, that it made it to all corners of, of the continent here. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I think because he came back a little bit smaller and his hair was cut shorter, that they just thought it was a different person. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was what it was, you know, and that was that was short-lived too because didn't it wound up being at SummerSlam and then he was gone again, right? Yeah, listen, when the Ultimate Warrior left the first time and then he comes back, like you said, at WrestleMania 8, he's there for a short time, he's gone again, and then he makes that uh, weird return at WrestleMania 12 and then he's gone again. And so after his initial run where he hit – like a, like a rocket ship. It just took off and, and people fell in love with him and they embraced him and he 
He wins the Intercontinental Belt. He wins the world title, beating Hogan cleanly in the middle of the ring, which is unheard of. And then after that, it kind of fizzles. And after that, it never really got to that same level uh, in the World Wrestling Federation for the Ultimate Warrior. So that's just an interesting end to, like, his run. But like you said, yeah, he would make these sporadic returns. Fans would love it, but it just it would never capture the same magic that it had the first time. Yeah, what, what was your personal uh, favorite memory of the Ultimate Warrior? If you only had to pick one, and, and, and like you said, there's been a lot of iconic moments with the Ultimate Warrior throughout the years. Uh, if you had to pick one, what, what would you, and I know it's putting you on the spot, but what, what's the first one that comes to your mind? The first one that comes into my mind is the WrestleMania six buildup, that storyline, even though I've admitted as a kid, I was not happy that Hogan lost that match. But I remember, I remember the anticipation, the buzz, the excitement, like never before in a buildup to a Hogan match. Really, this was the first time where as a Hulkamaniac, I was nervous. Every other main event, every other WrestleMania, you were kind of secure in your Hulkamania belief. Oh, hold on, 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 hold on. You're telling me you were secure at WrestleMania three when it was Hogan and Andre. You weren't worried at all about Andre the Giant. Not at all. Not at all. What? As a kid, not at all. Like, listen, I knew that the power of Hulkamaniac. Hulkamania could, could, you know, run wild on Andre. I was not nervous about Andre. Wow. I didn't mean to cut Warrior, you off. I was shocked legit, by that. Listen, legitimately, as a fan growing up, Warrior was the first one where I had this, like, well, maybe. You know, where I had that, that, that seed of doubt was planted. Uh, because wow. the buildup was so good. The buildup was so good that it made me wonder, like, what is really going to happen? Are you telling me, hold up, are you telling me you honestly thought Andre the Giant was going to go over at WrestleMania 3? Dude, I was, uh, was 10 years old. I didn't know what go over meant when I was 10 years old. Right, but I'm saying if you, you saw Andre and you I'm saw kidding. Hogan standing face to face, you didn't think that Hogan would be power enough to overcome the Giant? Well, I mean, I was rooting for Hulk Hogan, but a little part of me was a little worried about, about the champ as well. Well, here's the deal. I promise you, if Andre the Giant had one, little Tommy Fierro would have not been running through the streets of New Jersey celebrating. But that's exactly <laughs> what happened at WrestleMania 6. So you, I don't know if, so you could say you were a little worried for Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3, but at WrestleMania 6, you had abandoned the red why, and the yellow. Why do you always have to bring this up on the show for you? Always got to scooch me out. Always got to scooch me out that I was Team Warrior. But Warrior went over, and so you come out on the right side of history for that match. <laughs> yes, I guess so, Jay. All but, right, but uh, say, yeah, that... to answer your question, the build-up to WrestleMania Six is my favorite Warrior moment. If I can call the whole build-up a moment. Um, I'm going to flip the coin right back to you. If you had to pick one moment in the career of the warrior, what would you pick is like the first thing that pops into mind, the standout moment has to, it has to be, I'm with you. It has to be Hogan and warrior. I mean, you're looking back on that match, even, you know, 30 something years later, uh, you know, it still stands the test of time. I mean, at that time, you know, baby faces wrestling each other, really, really, really didn't happen. Once in a blue moon, and same things like when Hale was wrestling Hale, like something like that was, you know, just wasn't really seen that much back then. So you have, you know, Hulk Hogan, who you just said that the previous WrestleManias, you know, he, he's, he's, he's feuding with all the bad guys, whether it have been Piper, WrestleMania 1, you know, Bundy, WrestleMania 2, Andre, WrestleMania 3, Andre again, WrestleMania 4, Savage, WrestleMania 5. Like he's, he's conquered all these, top villains over the last four or five years. And now he's put in a situation where while he's defeating all these villains over the last five years, while he's the top guy, there's another guy climbing the ranks as Hogan's on top. And and the fans are watching warrior 
from the bottom, get all the way to the, near the top, and now he's challenging Hogan, but he's a babyface as well. So that, for me, made the match extremely special as, as a 10-year-old. You know, uh, no, it wasn't. What, what, no, I wasn't 10. I was, uh, at that point, I was, I was 13. So uh, as a 13-year-old watching that and just seeing the, the, your two favorite wrestlers, you know, about to wrestle each other and they're both on the same side, they're both good guys, it just really, 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 in my opinion, just made it even more special than, than it was. And uh, that match, you know, that stands the test of time, him beating Hogan, Hogan, you know, passing the torch to Warrior. I mean, you couldn't pick a, a greater career moment uh, for Ultimate Warrior than that. Do you think, and be honest, can you think of another match around that time or even since then that seemed as big, as important is that one did to us at that time that it was being led up to? Not really, but I, I will say that WWE did a really, really, really good job with Hogan and The Rock. Uh, I think going into that match, people weren't, maybe it wasn't as big as it, it wound up being because uh, they didn't know the audience was going to react to Hogan the way they did. And, and, and that match became so, so special. But I mean, as far as, you know, anticipation, leading into a, a, a match. I, I mean, it's got to be right up there with, with all the rest as, as one of the top ones ever. Yeah, I just remember as a kid, that one feeling special, that one feeling different sure. than other big matches. And I think uh, a lot of it had to do with the buildup. A lot of it had to do with, like you said, this was the first time in recent memory of fans that it was good guy versus good guy. And it was title versus title. So it like had all the components and, like you said, it stands the test of time. If you go back and watch that, even though both Hogan and Warrior get ripped on from time to time for their in-ring abilities, they put together a very good match that told an incredible story. And it made sense the entire way. It had the right amount of false finishes. It had the highs and the lows. And it had everything that, make, that made fans feel like they got what they paid for. Tommy, as we're talking here, the line is just lighting up. And so we're going to head back to our caller line here and we're going to get some other fans input on the career of the warrior. Hello, caller. Welcome to eighties wrestling, the podcast. What's your name and where are you calling from? Good morning. This is Ryan Martinez. How are you guys doing? Hey, the mayor of Butler is on the line. What's going on boys? The mayor. Welcome to the show, Mayor. I don't know. Do you call the mayor the mayor? Do you call him your highness? How do you like to be addressed, Ryan? Ryan works. Ryan works. I dig it. How about how about, how about ravishing Ryan? Ah, oh, that's been used already. <laughs> no, no What's going on, man? We're, we're talking about the career of the Ultimate Warrior. Obviously, I know that you grew up in the same time frame as me and Jay did. Uh, what, what are some of your favorite memories and moments as, as the, of the Ultimate Warrior growing up? And was he one of your favorites growing up as a kid? I mean, of course, he was one of my favorites growing up. I mean, that period from, what was it, 88 to 92, I would say, like, he was gigantic. Um, he didn't over, he never overshadowed Hulk Hogan in my eyes, but he was right up there as, like, a top two of that period. When you guys, you guys have mentioned, like, the match at SummerSlam with Honky Tonk, you mentioned um, his Rick Rude uh, battles, the Hogan versus Warrior title versus title. I will say this. There were three times as a small child watching wrestling that I was legitimately scared. But I'm like, okay, WWF just killed somebody on TV. When Savage hit Steamboat with the ring bell, when Jake put this, um, the Cobra on Randy Savage, and the third one, which is my most memorable Ultimate Warrior moment, is when they locked him in the car. Man, that is such a good moment, Ryan. You are absolutely right. As a kid, I remember being scared because they locked him in there. And, Tommy, if you remember, the coffin's airtight. They couldn't get it open. So they had guys with crowbars trying to pry this coffin open. And then when they finally opened it up, Warriors laying there lifeless, and the cloth on the inside of the casket lid is torn to shreds like the warrior was trying to claw out. Ryan, that is an excellent moment to bring up. Absolutely. And Ryan, Ryan I wanted to ask you as well. I asked uh, one of the callers earlier, 
Um, obviously, you said he was one of your favorites growing up. What was it like for you now? You're, you're, a, you're an adult, and you see this destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD that WWE put out, and also even the, the Dark Side of the Ring documentary that they put out recently. What, what's your take when you sit down and watch these, no, knowing that you grew up a, a big fan of his? Yes, behind the scenes, you know, he was extremely difficult and unprofessional to work with, but that shouldn't take away the legacy of what he did for the wrestling business, in my opinion. Because for me, if just say Elvis Presley, for example, was a, a piece of shit, you know, behind the scenes, that I don't need to know that because I'm a fan that's enjoying his music. That that's my take on it. What, what's your take watching that stuff? It's a great question because, again, I'm just someone that believes that, you know, men, I mean, when I say men, I mean men, women, they're capable of great good and great evil. And sometimes it's hard to reconcile the two. You remember how you felt as a kid when that music hit and what it did and how excited you were. Then now you look, you know, at some of those documentaries or some of the stories and you hear about he really didn't care about wrestling or what he would like to deal with, some of the things that he did. Um, you look back at some of his uh, promos and how they made no sense. So it's just like you, you hear, like, you know, holding up Vince for money right before uh, wrestling, things that he said when he was going, like, on that speaking tour, which, you know, I'm, I, I don't agree with anything that he had said in his, uh, uh, regarding, you know, certain types of people, what have you. So it's like sure. you, you don't like those things, but you remember how excited you were. And, and so it's like, what am I cheering for? Am I cheering for that music? The, the excitement that you felt as a child when you saw him and how do you reconcile that with the stories you hear about the man? It's difficult. I, I really don't have a good answer for that. But these are things, that, and it's not just him. There's been musicians, um, actors. There's been a lot of people. Like, you know, Richard Pryor, to me, is the greatest comic that ever lived. Then you hear about some of the things in his personal life, and you're like, ooh, that's yeah, rough. It's, and I, it's totally it's a similar. Good point. That's a good point. I, and I could see, and I could definitely see how, you know, people can be turned off by that. And, 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 I, and I certainly, uh, I hated those comments that he made and, and how he acted. Like I saw videos of him, you know, training, you know, pretend, potential, uh, I don't know if there were students or whatever, but he was talking so horribly to them. And, and then, and then the stuff you hear, the, 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 uh, the gay and racial slurs, I, I hated that. Uh, I, I just think, I just think, um, that kind of stuff, though, like, and, and, and that stuff, like, the, I believe, like, the, the gay comments and other stuff made it came after that, that, that DVD release came up from WWE. I'm not, I'm not quite sure in my timeline there. Um, but I just, I just think that, you know, I, I'm going by them, you know, being, having hard feelings with them because they held them up for money and no-showed and all that stuff. Like, that behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah, it sucks and it's unprofessional, but you can't, take away from the fact that he was one of your biggest performers of all time. And, you know, he made that company millions and millions and millions of dollars. So, but as far as the, the current day stuff and, and the, some of the comments he made in recent years, I, I hated it. Uh, couldn't disagree with it more. Um, it, it, I can see how it can tarnish his legacy. Uh, you can make a point of the same thing with Benoit, fantastic performer, uh, one of the greatest to ever step foot in the ring. But how can you, and, and I feel this way, I, I can never, ever, ever look at him any way but being a murderer that killed his wife, his daughter, and, and himself. So it, it is tough. So I can definitely see both sides of the story. So I, I was just asking because I was just curious your opinion, but that was a, a good answer. Well, we seem to agree. So it's very difficult to, I mean, but look, there's people like Benoit, like, you know, kill the family. Another example, we're going to go off of wrestling, but Bill Cosby. I love Fat Albert. I love the Cosby show. You know what he did in his personal life. How, what, what do I do with, with that? I can't stand what he did. Sure. It, evil. Disgusting. And then you have this childhood memory. These are the hard questions that you have. And this is why I guess in a way, like I kind of teach my kids, don't idolize anybody. Because at the end of the day, people are just, man, you need to see a clear picture of them. So to get a good sense of who this man or woman was. And everyone's got some bad, everyone has some good, then you have to kind of quantify it. It's, it's, it's difficult to do. Jay, this is, this is a great this, – this turned into a great conversation, huh? Listen, man, I'm sitting here, and initially, as Ryan's talking, I'm like, man, Butler's got the coolest 
mayor of all time because this guy knows his wrestling <laughs> stuff. And then he gives this answer that speaks more deeply to the human condition. And I'm like, this guy is, is representing wrestling fans well because we get a bad rap for being kind of Neanderthals. But Ryan, you know your stuff, but yet you can speak to the heart of the human condition. Butler, you've got yourself one heck of a mayor. Thank you, Jag. Really appreciate that. All right, man. Well, we, we appreciate you calling in. And, and just to let you know, Jay, we just signed the date to return ISPW to Butler, New Jersey on Friday night, December the 10th. It's going to be an action-packed lineup, and we'll be posting some information on 80sWrestlingCon.com in the, in the very near future. Well, let me ask you this, Tommy. Is the mayor, is Ryan going to be at the show, and will he have a chance to get his comeuppings against the winner, Andy Weinberg. I, I will confirm the mayor will be in the house December 10th, and Andy will be in the house December 10th. So I, I, I'm assuming uh, something will happen. That's, there's going to be electricity in the air in Butler, New Jersey. And Andy, I won't finish business. What happens, we'll find out later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it. mayor. Thanks for calling in, man. Talk to you boys later. Take care. Listen, Tommy, you guys got one of the greatest mayors sitting there because he knows his stuff. He's relatable. He's a real guy. But yet he understands the human condition at a much deeper level. I love that. Uh, I don't know where he's at in his term, but uh, if he's coming up for reelection, he's got my vote. Tommy, we got one other caller who's been sitting on hold. They've been listening, waiting in the wings, anxious to share their input on one of the greatest performers of all time, Caller, hello. Welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, it's uh, David from Canada. David from Canada. How are you? I'm good, Tommy. Jay, good to talk to you guys. Hope you're doing well. We're doing fantastic, you, David. You're from the home country of WrestleMania 6, my man. That is right. Uh, and, and I actually live just a few towns over from uh, where it happened. I, actually, my brother-in-law, a couple, two of my brother-in-laws uh, went to the show. No nice. way. That is cool. So what, what are some of your favorite memories and moments uh, of the Ultimate Warrior growing up as a, as a, as a fan, David? So I'm going to take this, I, I think, maybe in a bit of a track, different track than some people have. But there, there's two things that sort of, well, three things, I guess. One, the entrance music. Like, that is one of the, the theme songs. When that hit and, you, you know, you saw them running down, bolting down the aisle, they, they just, you're like, yes, here we go. All right? And then on a second note is, is him and, and especially, you know, some of those guys from the era, right? Like, how much difference to the character the face paint made? And the third thing is... I remember I ha- I still have it uh, somewhere I don't know where it is but the but the action figure where you could take bo- his his move was both arms went over his head and you could put another wrestling figure on him and slam him down uh, and just kind of reminds me of his sort of sheer strength that was was such an asset to his wrestling. Nice. Listen, David brings up some good points. Let's touch on the face paint because the '80s this era of wrestling face paint was more common than it is now. But the Warriors' design is something we've never seen before, nothing like since. And the fact that he would change the colors to meet his, his, uh, his outfits, like, it was just so unique. And do you guys remember in his early career with the World Wrestling Federation, when he would, when he would beat jobbers on, like, a Saturday morning, he would actually put face paint on them? Do you guys remember that? No. Absolutely. He w- yeah, he would have, like, a little can of face paint on the outside, and he would take him outside the ring, and he would just put, like, a couple fingers worth on their cheeks and their forehead. Uh, and he stopped doing that, but I remember seeing pictures of that in the wrestling magazine. But I, I agree with David. The face paint, the music, the action figures, uh, they all played so well together. I absolutely loved it. Now, David, are you talking about the, the, the six-inch Hasbro figures? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I think the one with the Warrior Press, I think that was the second one of his that came out, if yeah, I remember that's the, right. That's the one I'm talking about. That's the yeah, one I'm talking yeah. 
man, those are those are fun to have when you were a youngster. David, yeah, now I, I, had the, you, I had the I had the I had the Hogan one too, so I'd use them together. Nice. I want to I want to ask you the same question I asked the last couple of callers. Growing up, you know, you're a fan of the Ultimate Warrior, and then you, you see the the DVD release that the WWE put out, and then some of the documentaries that come out in recent years on them. What is your take uh, on, on those documentaries and DVDs as a fan of the Ultimate Warrior? And then you, you see that. Well, I, I would say this: like, it's hard for me to reconcile sometimes because, you know, especially as a kid growing up watching these people, uh, and obviously Warrior's not the only one with you know people who took steroids or, or things like that, where you sort of idolize them as a kid, not really knowing you know, what's behind it. Um, knowing all the stuff that I know now and some of the things he said and the way he's treated other wrestlers. And, and I think some of the comments he, he said about, uh, I think it was, it was Bobby Heenan. Like it, it takes a shine off it for sure. Uh, you know, in, in terms of how I think about him now to me, it, so the, it, you have that part and that, and that definitely brings it down a level. Uh, but it doesn't take, for me anyway, it doesn't take anything away from the wrestling itself. You know, I'm still able to uh, enjoy the product and, you know, watch back and enjoy the matches. Uh, but obviously it would be something that I would say, I don't want to support. I see, you know, he's, he's passed on, but if I, it's not something I want to support moving forward, but, you know, watching something from the past, uh, I don't have an issue with that. And it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of that. Very well said, David. Very well said. Very well spoken. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you calling in. And, and are, are you are you you're one of our uh, are you one of our customers for Eighties Wrestling Con, right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I'm oh yeah, there, I knew I knew, I knew the, the voice, the drawings. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, uh, Jay. He actually makes awesome artwork of of some of our guests that we have, and he mails them in from Canada. And and he gets them signed, then we ship them back to him. He did Mark Henry, he did Ted DiBiase, he did Papa Shango. He does a great job, man. You're very talented. I oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's 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 sort of something that I picked up uh, during the pandemic to try and it's sort of one of my outlets to cope with stuff, and it's been going well. And I got a few more ready to go for some of the upcoming ones. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you calling in, and and please uh, call in anytime we're live every Thursday at, at this time. So anytime you want to call in and shoot the shit with us, please feel free to do so. Absolutely. And you guys, right. Tommy, Jay, appreciate what you do. Love the podcast and take care. Thanks, All man. Right, David, David, before you go, let me ask you this. Do you have a okay. social media account where people could see some of your artwork? Uh, you know what? Um, I, I haven't really been posting it because I, like, I didn't know how I felt about it, but uh, I might, I might start posting it. Um, it's at DJ. There you go. Be on the lookout for some of David's work from the Great White North. Thank you for calling in, David. All right. Much appreciated, guys. Take care. All right. Some very, very, very uh, good calls today, man. Very good good calls. We got one more that's sitting on hold. The show is about to wind down. So I think we take this one last caller uh, and see what it's about, and then we'll we'll see what's coming up next for 80s wrestling in the world of Monday Night Virtual. But let's take the last caller of the ultimate show. Hello, caller. Welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. What's your name, and where are you calling from? Tyrone from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I want to say that I'll be loving your show. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Tyrone? Tyrone, what are the ultimate warriors, Tyrone? Tyrone, you got any memories? Oh, Tyrone had other things to do. He just wanted to say hey, and then he dropped off the line. So that was Tyrone. <laughs> well, hey, Tyrone. He's probably, he's probably on hold for an hour. He's like, screw this. He's literally at least saying hello, and then I hang up. But Tyrone, thank you from, from Connecticut, man. Anytime you want to call in, uh, please feel free to do so. All right, Tommy, before we wrap up the show, I have to ask you a very serious question. Yes, sir. When, when David from Canada was on the phone, and we were talking about wrestling figures. I swear I heard the old pull string warrior trying to squabble and talk from somebody's phone. Was that you? Do you have no. like the, 
You know what I'm talking about? The old pull string Ultimate Warrior? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't, it wasn't me. Man, I swear I heard it in the background, but I didn't want to call it out it. in case I was hearing things. But now I'm wondering. I thought it was you. I thought maybe you had one at the store. But listen, maybe David listen, had you, one of the old pull string warriors. Before we end today's uh, podcast, we're going to end it in a minute. Jay, you have to listen, man. I, I, this, is, this is becoming uh, – I'm, 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 I'm seeing a pattern here. You had the opportunity to tap Danny Davis on his back when he was waiting online. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not Danny Davis. Uh, Steve Lombardi, when he was yeah, online yeah. in front of you. Yeah, I And did. you didn't take the opportunity to do that. I, res- I respected his personal bubble. But you had the opportunity. Now, fast forward 30 years later, you had the opportunity to ask Dave from, from uh, Canada if he was playing with his ultimate warrior figure, and you didn't <laughs> do it. Brother, in the future, when you feel something, take it, grab it, embrace it. Listen, you're right. That's great advice for life. But now here's the deal. I can get off this phone conversation secure in my knowledge that, yeah, David from Canada had his 1990s Hasbro talking warrior, and him and the warrior are just chilling listening to our podcast. I can be secure in knowing that. But if I ask him and he says no, then I have to leave the, the, the conversation going, I'm hearing the voice of the 1990 Warriors pull string toy <laughs> in my head. And then I got to go talk hey, to a professional about that. There's so sometimes, only one way to... sometimes not knowing is better than knowing. Well, here's the thing, man. Uh, he's one of my customers, so I have his email address. I'm going to email him and ask him. And I'm going to have an answer for you right here next week on 80s right. Wrestling the Podcast. I'm going to find what, out. What a cliffhanger that is to the listeners. Does Jay yeah. hear the Warriors' voice in his head or – does David from Canada still play with the pull string warrior? Here's the deal. I have a pull string warrior. My advice to David, don't pull the string so often because the voice just keeps getting worse and worse. Jay, but, this, this poor guy might not even have one, and you're just putting it, you're putting it out here to the world, and he's playing with his pull string warrior. While I'm listening, he's also talking, easy, brother. Let me listen, email him first. Let me email in him David's first. defense. I 100% thought it was you. And so I waited for him to get off the phone so I could ask you directly if you're pulling the string on your warrior figure. Come to find out it wasn't you. So now I, my assumption is it's David. But I don't know. <laughs> it could just be in my head. All right. Whew. All right. So let's talk about Monday Night Virtual and all things 80s wrestling. When the mayor, the good mayor of Butler, Ryan, was on, you dropped – some info that the ISPW is returning to Butler. What else do you got on your radar, Tommy? What else is coming up that we need to know about? Well, if you live in the New Jersey area, uh, this Sunday, October the 3rd, we're going to be doing ECW Day at the Wrestling Collector this Sunday, 4 to 6 p.m. in Stockholm, New Jersey, on Route 23, the Wrestling Collector, 4 to 6 p.m. ECW Originals, Sabu, Justin Credible in 911. They're all going to be in the house this Sunday at the Wrestling Collector. If you don't live in the New Jersey area and you would still like to get an autographed picture of Sabu, Justin Credible, or 911, you can head to our website, 80swrestlingcon.com now. You can order a picture for this Sunday, Sabu, 911, and Justin Credible. They'll sign it and we'll ship it out to you next week. So if you live in the area, though, this Sunday, check us out for ECW Day at the Wrestling Collector Store and follow the Wrestling Collector on all social media platforms. It is uh, the Wrestling Collector Store on Instagram, the WC Store on Twitter, and the Wrestling Collector LLC on Facebook. And uh, we're working on some more signings in the store and as well as virtual and in person and ISW shows as well. So uh, hopefully we'll have some more information next week on some future upcoming events. That all sounds good, Tommy. I'm always excited because you're always working on something. There's always something else coming down the road. So I'm excited to see what that will lead. I've been enjoying everything you've been putting out. Like we said, the Medusa signing on Monday night was incredible. So entertaining, so fun to watch. And I feel like she brought in, a diverse crowd to watch the signing because there was people in the chat that I'd never seen before. And so that's always fun to see additional people being drawn to what you're doing, Tommy. So keep up the good work. Thank you, man. All right. 
I think that's it. I think that's the ultimate ending to the ultimate show that we just got done talking about the career of the ultimate warrior. Tommy, anything to, to add to the warrior discussion before we sign off? No, not really, man. I think we, we touched on, I mean, we didn't, we didn't even touch, we didn't even scratch the surface on his whole career, but I, I think that, uh, you know, the stuff we did say was, was and, and the conversations we had today with, with the, the callers were, were great. Uh, they were all very, very educated callers and definitely knew what they were talking about. And we enjoy that. So remember, each and every Thursday, we'll be live right here, same time, same place. You can call into the show, talk to us, and interact with us. We'd love it. And uh, I guess until next week, Jay, I hope you and your family have a great weekend. Hope to see some of you guys this Sunday at the Wrestling Collector. And until then, we'll catch you next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.